Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. So part one of our series was about uh, the promise to a warrior, uh, part two that Wings covered last week was on the praise and I'm covering um, the presence, but before I head into that, I would like to pray, even though Ulu just prayed. Um, yeah, I just wanted to pray. I, I was thinking about Genesis 1 and how in the beginning of creation, it talks about um, how the spirit hovered over the, the dark, um, but the moment God spoke, uh, let there be light, lights came on, and I, I, and we know, we felt, we felt, who, who felt God's presence here this morning, like, I, I felt it so much, but what is always awesome is just to acknowledge it, to acknowledge him, to acknowledge that he is here, so just together as family, again, I just want to welcome family and friends, we're so glad that you joined us today, and I'm just going to say a quick prayer um, before we kick off, yeah, Holy Spirit, uh, we acknowledge that you are here. We invite you into our hearts. Lord, would you just prepare our hearts for what you want to say to us today? Um, there's nothing else that's going to bring change in our lives. There's nothing else that's going to awaken this, awar- this warrior spirit except your Holy Spirit. So we ask you to come, um, and we're just so full of gratitude and and joy, Lord, that you would want to be among your people this morning, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, cool. So um, I just wanted to start off just talking about the power of story. You will see on our stage, we have a few canvases. This is my, my home kind of happening here, and um, each of these canvases I've got a dry mouth, so don't mind me if I keep going to my water, but each of these canvases tell a different story. They tell a different story of who God is, and they are an artist's expression of their love for God. Each of these paintings painted by a different uh, brother of faith. Um, this one in the middle here by our very own Dave Lomatia. It's my favorite. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about the pieces just to kind of set this up for you. So this one here, um, David texted me one time and he said, yeah, I felt that God wanted me to give this to you. Um, and then I saw it and just tears immediately. I was in um, Greece a couple of years ago and I was on the island of Mykonos and I go into the place, my accommodation, and it's like a refurbished cave under a windmill. It's like really beautiful. And then I walk in and anyone that knows me, I'm a writer. So I walk in and there's a little writing table and on the writing table, there's a pad and a bird cage with the door left open. And um, so it's got a picture of a girl there holding up a bird cage with the door left open. And what that, um, what God spoke to me in that, in that moment was, right, I want you to set your dreams free. And so I, he gave me this like a year later, uh, a year later, and I was just so blessed by it. But um, yeah, this just talks about the spirit of freedom um, and dreams in God. Uh, this one on the right is from a, a brother in the faith that a lot of us know, Saleh Pepe. Years ago, I got this, and you know you're an artist when you can look at something like that and interpret it, because honestly, 
I looked at it and I said, wow, I love that. Like, so that white panel, that's like the holiness of God. And then you've got the blood of Jesus and the green, that looks like the earth. And so it's the blood of Jesus spilling into the earth. And then we've got these white things that look like signatures. So like signatures of the saints. And he's like, sis, that's actually correct. I was like, okay, can I have a discount for that painting? Um, And he did give me a discount. But um, yeah, this just talks about the power of the gospel um, and the the power of God, the power, the power of God to redeem his people and um, yeah, just to make us saints. And then the last one here, many of you were here for Encore when um, Pete uh, Wilson painted this in about seven minutes and it's very obvious. It's about uh, God's father heart and his relationship with us, his children and how he longs to hold us close. So, um, you know, just... All an expression of God, but such different canvases. And um, this blank one here, this is us. This is me and you. This is a story that is still unfolding. It's a story still being painted. And um, yeah, I just, as I was sort of thinking about it, uh, I just felt like we are a blank canvas and God has placed us on an easel called Earth. And we are the ones that hold the brush to paint the story that we're going to tell. And the gallery, the gallery is not on earth, it's in heaven. And it's there for God to enjoy his masterpiece um, with his heavenly beings. Um, But this is the thing, only warrior stories make it into the gallery. And um, I just sense that... I really, just this morning, because this message that I'm talking about is on presence, and I just feel like God just wants us to know, even before we kick off, that he doesn't want us to paint alone, Uh, that he wants to hold our hand, the Holy Spirit wants to hold our hand and help us paint some of the greatest warrior stories ever told, okay? Okay, week three, the presence. So this is just to set this up because I'm going to try a storyteller approach to our message today. Um, Week through the presence, the importance of God's presence um, is in battles is expressed best for me by one line through Moses, the great deliverer. Ken talked about Moses this morning. He had brought the people of Israel out of slavery and um, God encouraged him to take them on to the promised land. And this is what Moses said in Exodus 33:15. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. It goes on to say in verse 16, is it not in your going with us that we are distinct from every other people on the earth? Like, that's what's amazing. When we're in battle, the presence of God makes us distinct. It makes us different. It makes us stand out from anyone else out there. Uh, And we are no competition against the enemy. Um, When I'm about to take something big on, maybe something like this, um, I'll just remind myself of this, that one with God is the majority. Um, and so this Exodus 33 and the presence and don't, don't take me up from here unless you're with me, that really ministered to me in my early Christian days. And so um, this is my thing. I just like, what does it say? Okay, so this is around the same passage. And God replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 
This was back in 2004, and so I've just taken it with me everywhere just as a reminder of that. But um, yeah, God's presence makes us distinct, uh, different, set apart, and victorious. And this is evident in the life of King David. He has an impressive timeline, and I'm just going to um, spill through some of it. I've got a bit of a timeline. Um, the ages, they're an estimation based on a lot of uh, research by, by scholars. But yeah, so David, King David was born about a thousand years before Christ, and this is what his timeline looks like. At 10 years old, he was anointed by prophet Samuel to be the future king of Israel. So God saw him, God called him out. At age 12, he was such a gifted musician that he was put in the king's courts, King Saul, and he was uh, a minstrel there, someone that just uh, ministered to the king with his instrument. At age 15, giant slayer, he takes out Goliath, with a sling, this is a sling, um, yes. So something much like that, but I'm sure it didn't have Philippines written on his. <laughs> um, I got this on one of my trips. Uh, at age 25, he was made commander, army commander of King Saul's vast army. I mean, when I say vast, like when you think of an army, I don't know what you think, but I wasn't think thinking 330,000. That was one of the numbers that came up um, when I was looking at it. So at 25, at 25, that's amazing. At 30, um, and Ulu covered this in part one, this is where he's on the run from Saul, and he has an opportunity to take King Saul out, but he doesn't. He was merciful, so he had a good heart. Um, at 42, he becomes the king of Judah, and, also, and soon after that, the king of Israel. Uh, a year later, this is one of my favorites, I think it's in Second Chronicles 7, I think, um, where God makes a covenant with David, and he says to you, I will establish your kingdom eternally. Would you build me a house, uh, a temple that I can dwell in? So he makes this, this promise, this commitment, this covenant commitment with David, like God is just, his heart is just devoted to David. And then at 53, he carries on, he's a mighty warrior, um, and it at 53, it just notes some of his greatest battles where he take, takes out um, some of God's arch enemies. Um, so yeah, amazing, right? King David, famous mighty warrior, but also known for just having the presence of God with him. That's why Saul was scared of him. But today, we're going to camp on what probably is the least impressive part of his life. Um, so David is about to have a big moral and spiritual failure. I uh, just wanted to chuck out a disclaimer. I'm not sure if there's any kids in here, but we are going to talk about some adult themes today. So at your discretion, please feel free to um, send your children on to our awesome kids church. Okay, and before we go into it, I just wanted to remind us of the unenviable position of David, who has all the details of his life, uh, spread out for us to go through and to pick apart and to write sermons about, um, you know, just, just to show him a bit of grace as we go into it. Uh, but yeah, cool. So, and we are going to do it anyway, because it says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture 
is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I love that bit, training in righteousness, training in the warrior spirit, and I'm praying that we'll get some good training today. Okay, so our text is taken from 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and we're going to approach this with the power of story. Um, Everyone loves a good story, right? A good movie. Um, Well, most of us do. Uh, Back when I was in film school, we learned a few movie terms, terminology that just help us to understand uh, the art of telling a good story. A few things, main characters, minor characters, a good plot, and story beats. A story beat is basically um, just the main events, the main points that help to build up the story. So we're going to do that today in this narrative that I'm going to take us through. Because we have so much text, we've got two chapters to go through. I've just gone through, had a look at it, pulled out six story beats that tie it all together. And so we'll just flow like that and, um, and yeah, hopefully do a little bit of storytelling. Um, Just before I came in the service, you guys know Joey, right? Joey Schuster, he's like the best storyteller in the world. And so I just took him outside before the service and said, Joey, uh, I'm gonna do some storytelling today and I really need your anointing, so could you pray for me? (laughs) So he prayed for me outside and he was like, I pray she she tells it in a cinematic way. I was like, oh yeah, okay. (laughs) He's so awesome. But yeah, so I'm just saying. Excuse me, okay. Cool, so let's get into this story, this narrative. I have entitled our story today, A Tale of Two Warriors. We have two main characters, King David, as you all heard, the anointed one, God's covenant friend, and the greatest king of Israel. And then we have Uriah the Hittite, He is a warrior for God's army, and he is one of David's mighty men. Um, Just in in one of the chapters that I looked up, I saw mighty Uriah was one of 37. So with a vast number of warriors, and there was few mighty men, so he was one of David's greatest fighters. Then we have our minor characters. We have Bathsheba. She's the wife of mighty man Uriah, She's also, the scripture says she's the daughter of Eliam. Uh, what, the, what it doesn't say there is that um, Eliam is also a warrior of David. He's a Gidonite warrior. Uh, and then it also doesn't say that she's the, uh, the granddaughter of Ahithophel, which is David's counselor. So this is important to know because there's some close connection between Bathsheba and David. Uh, Then we have Commander Joab. He is the commander of King David's army and also his nephew. We have Prophet Nathan, a great prophet of God. And then we have the Lord God himself. Not minor in their value, of course, but it's called A Tale of Two Warriors. So these are two warriors. Okay, so I wrote a little movie plot for us, just for fun. Um, And yeah, go something like this. It's the battle that no one saw coming. Two of the most valiant warriors in history who fight on the same army find themselves in the midst of a personal war. King David, notorious for his victories with all the power and opulence in the world, wants more. 
while mighty man Uriah just wants what is rightfully his. In this tale, one warrior is about to lose everything and the other is about to gain more than he bargained for. So that's our little plot. And we're gonna kick into it. Um, I'm reading from the ESV version. Uh, for those of you that have brought your Bibles, if you can pull it up on your phones, um, we are reading from 2 Samuel, yeah, 2 Samuel 11, chapter 11, and we will also read from 2 Samuel 12. Uh, and I'm calling 2 Samuel 11, Act 1. Cool. So we have six story beats that we're going to cover, and um, all of our story beats will have a scripture, and then I'm just going to flow and just tell the story um, as it reads. Okay, so beat one, David gets comfortable. In verse one, it says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. So the king gets comfortable. He's comfortable reclining on his couch. He sleeps through the whole day, and later on, just before it turns dark, he goes up to his rooftop and he walks around. And while looking around the town, he sees a beautiful woman bathing. So he inquires to his men, who is that? And his men say, isn't she Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the daughter of Eliam? And he says, go get her at once. Yeah, David was comfortable. He was comfortable. And um, when I was thinking about this, uh, the line where it says, David remained at Jerusalem. In the King James Version, it says David tarried. And to tarry is to delay your stay longer than what is right or what was expected. So he wasn't meant to be there. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time with something else wrong in his heart. Um, and so I just, when I thought about the comfort of David, uh, it reminded me of something I heard, that comfort is the enemy of progress. And I get it, right? Like, comfort, it's easy, uh, it's even fun, you get to chill, there's no pressure, there's no hard work. Um, but the thing is, when you're a warrior, you're called to live by faith, which means you're called to live with discomfort. Um, and uh, in John 14, 29, tw sorry, John 14, 26, it says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. This just shows me that when you're comfortable, you're missing out on the fullness of God's presence. And that's what was taking place um, with David. Beat two, David takes the wife of his fellow warrior. We're in verse four and five that I'm gonna read. So David sent messengers and he took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So David quickly sends word to Joab, the commander, send Uriah home. 
Uriah comes into the presence of the king, and the king says to him, Uriah, how is Joab doing out there? Right, and how are the people doing out there? Okay, and how is the war going? Right, okay. Um, I want you to go down to your house, and I want you to wash your feet. Not long after that, David leaves his presence. He goes out, but he doesn't go down to his house, and he sleeps outside the door. And then what happens is uh, his servants tell him, uh, King David, Uriah didn't go to his house. So he brings, calls Uriah back. Why have you not gone down? And he said, Lord, how can I? How can I? My men, my warriors, Commander Joab, they are sleeping out in the open fields. The Ark of the Covenant, the people of Israel and the people of Judah are sleeping in booths. As long as I live, I cannot do this. I cannot go down to my house and enjoy the comforts of life and enjoy food and enjoy my wife. So David goes, okay, stay with me another couple of days and then I'll send you back out into war. It's a couple of days later, Uriah comes back into the king's presence and now the king feeds him. And now he gets him drunk in the hopes that he will go down to his wife and sleep with his wife and conceal what had happened in chapters earlier. But Uriah doesn't. He goes out again and he sleeps directly outside the door. David hears of this, he's fuming, and then we end up at beat three. But just before we go there, I just want to say, David anointed God to be king, and he abused his power. Uh, What happened, just when I was doing some research and original language, he took her, comes from a word that means he seized her or he snatched her. So they just suggest like a sense of of force or just of him abusing his power. Um, And in those days, the king was the highest authority under God. So when you're summoned to the king, you can't turn him down. When Beth, um, so she had no choice but to go into him. It doesn't say specifically that he took physical advantage of her, but what is clear is that he used his power to satisfy his own desire. Um, And so we must be God-fearing when it comes to our positions of authority, wherever they are, in the workplace, in the home, wherever. Um, And may it never get to our heads, because as we can see here through David, pride came before the fall. In beat three, David orders the murder of Uriah. Uh, We're looking at verse 14 and 15. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest battle and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And just as David planned, Uriah dies in battle. Immediately, Bathsheba finds out that her husband has died. She is distraught. She mourns him. And then not long after that, David takes her to be his wife. The Bible says that this greatly displeased the Lord. So this is what we can take away from Act 1, 2 Samuel 10, uh, sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 11. I've just pulled out a couple of points that I think really stood out to me in Act 1 for warrior training. 
And the first one is this, number one, go to war for God and avoid self-inflicted battles. David wasn't on the front line, the battlefield where his army was, but he was going through a battle and it was a self-inflicted one. Um, And you will avoid self-inflicted battles when you are positioned in the perfect will of God. Point number two is do not reject God's presence in battle or sin will master you. Sin has this way of snowballing. It just compounds. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger unless it's brought to the altar, unless you turn to God with it. And we will see that in the next act to come. We're now in act two, which is Second Samuel chapter 12. So this is what happens. God tells Nathan to go to David, and he says to him a parable. And the parable goes like this. There was a rich man with exceeding herd, um, and then there was a poor man with just one ewe lamb. Uh, That was all he had. He was poor, and the ewe lamb was not only was it, it was almost like a pet, It was a pet that he cared for and he used um, to comfort his family and he even called it his daughter. So we've got two different contrasting rich man and a poor man. And then a traveler comes into town to the rich man. But the rich man, instead of feeding his guest with one of his many um, flock and herd, he goes and takes the poor man's lamb and he feeds it um, to the guest. So prophet Nathan is telling David the story and David is horrified. He says, that man deserves to pay for what he's done. He showed no pity. It was wrong. Um, And in verse 9, I'm going to start reading from verse 7 in chapter 12. Nathan said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you so much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So David's sin is exposed and God tells him evil is coming to you and it's going to be made public. B5. David repents and God shows him mercy. This is one of the most astonishing verses. Um, In verse 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. In one verse, there is repentance followed by fast mercy from God. And so what we can see here is we just see six words from David. Um, But the benefit of David being a poet, being a writer, was that he was able to pour what was in his heart out. So, you know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. When we repent, God can see if it's really genuine. And it's shown in Psalm 51. And I just want to ask us if we can quickly turn there. I won't read the whole thing. I'm just going to read a few lines from it. But Psalm 51. 
51, at the top, it says, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Verse one, it says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the mercy, According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In verse 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. So that's what was going on in David's heart and God could see that and God responded with great mercy towards David. Beat 6. God loves the son of David in Bathsheba. So fast forward, there is a consequence to David's sin. Uh, God had just told him that I have extended you great mercy, but the consequence is the son of Bathsheba will die. David intercedes, he prays, he fasts uh, for his son to be spared, but his son dies. And the beautiful thing about it, what happens immediately after his son son dies, is um, David didn't get his way with that, but he immediately washes his face, rises up, and goes into the house of the Lord, and he worships God. So it showed just a posture of humility. He was really just trusting God's rule with his life. We don't always get our own way uh, with what we want, even things that we bring to the Lord, but we have to trust his sovereignty, and that's what he did. Um, and the beat of uh, number six, beat six in Second Samuel, we're looking at verse 24 and 25. It ends off by saying, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. She bore a son and he called his name Solomon and the Lord loved him and sent him a message by Nathan the prophet and he called his name Jedidiah. So the Lord gave King Solomon, another name, Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. The name David means beloved. So it was almost like God was saying, I love your son as the way I love you. Um, so that was just another extent of God's mercy. Like, are we so grateful for God's mercy? It just extends beyond sin. And God had now blessed the covenant between Bathsheba and David. And so, you know, that's amazing that you can just have such a self-inflicted battle like what David was in the middle of and still experience the mercy of God. Those are our six beats. But um, just in preparing this message, um, a surprise beat came up. And so I do have another one, an extra surprise beat seven. Um, And so what I remembered about David, my knowledge of David was that he became uh, part of Jesus's line. Uh, He was part of Jesus's genealogy. And um, so it just, it reminded me of Matthew 1.6. So if you've got it available, please turn with me to Matthew 1, where it describes the genealogy of Jesus. Um, because God showed me something amazing in this. So it reads, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Um, And then it reads, number two, and I'll just go through it just up until verse six, because that's where we're going to stop. 
Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, the Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. When I've read these names before, I'm just like, there's so many names. Like, why, why is it all there? Everything in the word of God is inspired by the spirit. And we will see here in verse six, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. God remembered Uriah. You know, the thing about Uriah is he was faithful in battle. Even when he was taken off the battlefield, he was faithful there as well. He was honoring the code with his brothers, so he couldn't go and enjoy himself because his brothers were out there fighting a big war. Um, and unbeknownst to Uriah, there's this massive conspiracy to take him out, and it happens, and that's the end of his life, but he was a faithful warrior. And what the Holy Spirit just really dropped in my heart is that God wrote Uriah into his story. Even though, just because of Uriah's faithfulness, he remembered it. It speaks so much to me personally because my youngest brother is called Uriah. And um, I look at the character of Uriah and I see my dad. I see my dad who, who lost everything. He lost his wife. He, he lost his life, but he, he was faithful. And the Holy Spirit just reminded me, I've written him into my story. And I just, you know, when I was reading this, I just thought about these self-inflicted battles and then these battles of injustice. I did nothing to deserve this. You might have gone through something where you're like, uh, that was so unfair what happened to me. I, but I just want to encourage you this morning, and I just felt like God wanted to encourage you. Um, you know, my sister mentioned to me today about wounded soldiers, that um, it is possible to be a warrior and just to be wounded in your spirit. But God wants you to know that he sees and he cares and he will honor your integrity in battle, which brings us to our last two warrior training points that we get from Act 2, which is, we may fall in battle, but true repentance is met with God's swift mercy. And number four, God will never forget your integrity in battle. We're almost there. We're all in a battle, right? Like life is full of them. And I just want to just leave, finish off by just saying, choose your battles. There are many battles to fight, but the ones that are worth fighting for are the ones uh, with God, the ones where you have his presence with you. Um, and I've had such a, a powerful lesson in this just over the last uh, six weeks. I've been away from church for about six weeks. Um, and A Tale of Two Warriors is just very much my story. Got a message some weeks ago about my stepfather who was on his deathbed, had a few days to live. Many of you know my testimony of um, just a whole lot of brokenness in our relationship. God faithfully restored that. And so I was sitting on his deathbed, nursing him in his last year, sorry, in his last week of his life. And I was just sitting there thinking about God's mercy. I couldn't believe how far God had brought me, how much the healing had gone, that I could then be there and care for him and acknowledge him as my dad and, and just 
bless him, and we prayed and we fasted for him. It wasn't the will of the Lord. He, he went to be with God. He was a man of faith. I come home, go down for Father's Day, and I find my dad in the same situation. He looks like he's dying. Um, and, you know, in that moment, I just thought, Lord, this is too much. We all go through battles, right? I was right in the middle of a battle. Um, and then, and I just, I spent like three days just in tears, just a real mess, um, and just saying to God, like, I'm drowning in my emotions, and I need you to throw me a lifeline, um, and, and just quickly, I, I looked at his door, and it had room 34, so I just turned to Psalm 34, and um, the state that I found my dad in, he was just bones, he was so skinny, he had his hand on his thigh, and his whole thigh could fit in his palm, it was just so scary to see, um, but one of the last lines in, in that scripture, it said, God shields their bones and he won't allow any of them to be broken. And in that moment, it was just like a light went on, like that Genesis 1 light just went on and I just knew that the presence of God was there. I knew that he cared. I knew that he was carrying my dad and caring for us. And so it just reminded me, wait, I need to fight. I need to fight. Um, Wayne's talked about clinging to your sword. Um, and so that's what I did. I grabbed the sword. Scriptures went on his wall. And I just started declaring God's truth over him and um, just ministering to him and praying for him, knowing that, it, yes, I'm believing for physical healing, but it's much more, it's spiritual. And so that's just like an example of what it means for me to be in the battle. We all have different battles and we are all in a battle. But the thing is, God wants us to meet. God wants to meet us there. He wants us to know that his presence is there in the real world, wherever you are, and he is your endless supply. The Holy Spirit is your endless supply for every situation that you have, for the self-inflicted battles, but then also the battles of injustice. Um, and so, you know, that's our word for today. And I just thought, you know, the beginning of this whole chapter, it says, in spring, what season are we in? We're in spring. In spring, when, when, when it's time to go out to war, and I, it just really affirmed me. I was like, it is, it is time to go to war. And I hope you know that, and I hope you hear that and receive that, that God has called you, that he's given you all the tools that you need, and that his presence wants to go out with you um, into the world. And so, yeah, I'm just going to pray.